The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. How are you now? Well, I'm doing all right. How are you now? Nobody asked how I was doing. Nobody cares. I don't care. Your Montreal Canadiens lose 4-3 to three to the Vegas Golden Knights. Hello and welcome to episode uh, 63. Is it 63? I think it's 63. We're going to call it 63 anyways of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Have's Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake. And uh, that was actually a pretty fucking fantastic tank game. I gotta say. I'm gonna get through the recap. It started out pretty shitty, but it, it got better as it went along. And man, I gotta say, perfect tank game, really. You can't ask for more. So it wasn't as bad of a start as I was expecting. You know, the Golden Knights are a pretty strong team. They're definitely playoff bound. Um, and the Habs are definitely not. And it wasn't as bad as I expected in the beginning, right? It took about 13 minutes, but then Vegas kind of really started pouring it on. So Teddy Bluger, he's working behind the net thir- about 13 minutes into the game anyways. And uh, the Habs are kind of just chasing all over the place. Very sloppy in their own zone. Bluger throws it out front. Uh, I think he was trying to throw it out front anyways, and it gets back to the point to Shea Theodore, and he, through a mess of bodies, again, Habs very disorganized in their own zone, puts it through and past Jake Allen, and that makes it one nothing. <laughs> Less than a minute left in the period. Shots are already 12-5. to 5. It's not going well for the Habs, right? They got five shots on goal through the first 20 minutes. Uh, defensive zone draw, and guess what? Really brutal missed hooking call against Christian Dvorak. Really, it should have been a two-minute penalty against the Golden Knights. But I digress. Um, Joel Edmondson gets the puck, tries to clear it out, flips it up in the zone, or uh, flips it up in the air, rather, to try and get it out of the zone. And it gets stopped at the point. It goes back the other way. Ivan Barbashev finishes off a nice passing play between Jonathan Marchessault and Jack Eichel. And 2 to nothing is your score at the end of 20. Not looking very good for the Habs. And it doesn't get any better early on in the second period. This time, it only takes eight minutes. Busted breakout, intercepted by Riley Smith. Um, really bad breakout pass. I think it was Kovacevic. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to go back and take a look at it. It doesn't matter. Again, Habs very disorganized in their own zone throughout this game, particularly the first 40 minutes. This time, Riley Smith gets the interception, goes two-on-one basically with William Carlson, gives it to Carlson, gets it back, scores 3 nothing. Habs turn it up from there, though. This is where the Habs start playing much better. All of a sudden, they're a little bit tighter in the defensive zone, and they're actually getting some chances at the other end. Now, a lot of that's probably due to score effects, but it carries into the third period. Early in the third, Jonathan Drouin wins an offensive zone drawback to Mike Matheson. He does it himself. Absolutely dog walks Paul Cotter at the blue line. Comes down on the right-hand side and through traffic, sees a spot. Perfect placement on a wrister. Far side in. 3-1 3-1 to one is your score, but Vegas gets it right back. Jake Allen down and out. 
Ivan Barbashev puts it on net. Denis Gurianov, he makes a goal line save here. Like, he reaches in and looks like he actually keeps that puck off the line. It takes, you know, maybe five seconds or so for the ref to actually signal that it's a goal. Um, and it did indeed cross the line, but I got to hand it to Gurianov. He made a really good effort there to try and keep it out. Uh, just couldn't get there in time. Four to one is your score. But then before they even get a chance to announce that goal, Alex Belzil is in basically all by himself on the right wing. He's got two defensemen bearing down on him. He's got nobody to pass the puck to. The Habs are like basically, um, I think the closest teammate that he had was still outside of the zone. So he has a look, decides to take a shot, and he beats Jonathan Quick. And now it's 4-2. to two. Shortly after that, I mean, I don't even think they've finished announcing... The first goal, never mind the second one. This time it's Jesse Alonen with the puck below the goal line. Has a look out front and puts a perfect sauce. Tape to tape to Rafael Harvey Pinar. And he one times that one through. And it's 4-3. to three. The Habs making a game out of this thing late. They would pull Jake Allen for the extra skater. But with the extra skater, it looked pretty half-hearted on the Habs part. They came closer to getting scored on than they came to actually scoring themselves. And that's your final 4-3 to three in favor of the Golden Knights. But I got to say, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, this was a pretty perfect tank game. You saw them with a competitive score against the, one of the better teams in the Western Conference. And they still don't get the two points. So it's not going to help them get any higher in the standings. It is going to help them stay lower in the standings. And we still got to see a competitive game of hockey in which the Habs took one of the better teams in the Western Conference to the wire. I love it. That's precisely the kind of thing I want to see from here on out in the season when they go up against those good teams. I don't want to see them get absolutely destroyed. Nobody wants to watch um, uh, you know, a complete blowout which is kind of what I thought we were going to be in for there, uh, particularly with the way that first period went. Like, it was fucking horrible. But it, I got to hand it to them. They made the adjustments they needed to make. Um, they made them a little bit later than, than they perhaps needed to. But, you know, again, perfect tank game. So that brings me to your silver lining of the night. I got a few for you this time. Um, number one, so he's definitely the silver lining of the night. It's Mike Matheson. Uh, he's been playing some really inspired hockey lately. I don't know how many times lately I've given him either player of the game or silver lining of the night, but he's deserving of it every time. That goal was absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And he was, again, he was one of the few players, again, they were super uh, disorganized in their own zone. He was one of the few players that on a lot of shifts, when they were looking that disorganizer, I was like, you know what? It's not his fault. You know, he's in the right position. He's making the right plays. He's skating really well with the puck. And again, that goal was just gorgeous, man. There's nothing better than a defenseman who gets it up at the point and has the stones to just go and do it himself and completely dog walk an opposing forward in the, in the, in the process. Um, I'm I'm impressed by Mike Matheson. Uh, I, you know, I, I did write that article earlier in the season wondering if maybe he might get traded and people thought that I wanted to trade him. That wasn't my point. My point was he might be the best defenseman on the team right now. And the best defenseman on the team is likely to get the best offer at the trade deadline. So that was really the the thinking behind the article. And realistically, at this point, with the way he's playing, I think they've got a pretty strong candidate for uh, for a number one D-man on the team, for a number one pair D-man on the team at the very least, um, which is a great thing to have, um, especially with Caden Gooley now missing some time again, apparently. Um, it's going to be good to have somebody around who can actually kind of keep things on an even keel so that they don't get blown out um, every single game from here on out. It was a very, very good game from him. I was super impressed. Another silver lining. Let's move on. 
Raphael Harvey-Pinard again. I thought he was fantastic in this game. He was making another uh, number of key shot blocks. Seems like every game he makes some big shot blocks on defense. This guy's got balls on him. Like There's no second thought about getting in the way of a shot. It doesn't matter who's shooting. It doesn't matter the situation. He's got absolutely no delusions of grandeur. He knows that he has to play his way onto this team next year with really effective, tenacious forechecking, effective, tenacious defensive zone play, and chip in where you can with some goals. He did all of that in the game against the Golden Knights. All of it. He was everywhere on the ice. His forechecking was impeccable. His defense was fantastic. And he chips in with a goal. This is precisely the kind of shit he needs to do to really lock in that spot for next year. I think at this point he's already locked up, but you know he has to play like he's trying to lock it up every single game from here on out because this is a major opportunity for him. His first real stint in the NHL. And he's got the opportunity to potentially lock that spot in and be there next year from day one. I think he's done it. Um, I don't know what you guys think. Leave a comment uh, on the Substack article if you like. We can have a little discussion about whether or not Rafael Harvey Pinar is going to be sticking around next year. I think he will. Now, how about one more silver lining? You might think this one's a bit of a reach, okay? So let's get that out of the way right now. But I'm going again with Denis Gurianov. I, I'm i not going to talk too much about the save on the goal line. I mean, I think it was a good defensive play. It was a good attempt. But I thought, you know, looking at his game overall, I thought he was pretty good. He made a couple of brain fart plays, but I think these are things that you can coach out of him um, throughout the course of his tenure with the Montreal Canadiens. I think if you get him into the offseason, you get him into training camp with you, you get him to work with Adam Nicholas a little bit, I think some of these brain farts are going to evaporate pretty quickly. And I think they've got a legitimate productive bottom sixer on their hands with him um, work with him see what you can do see if you can get some of these brain farts out of his game because his skating is fantastic he's super fast he handles the puck well he really and you know <laughs> tell me if you feel differently but when you watch him out there sometimes does he not remind you a little of Josh Anderson I think he could be like a cheaper Josh Anderson in the future if they work with him so uh, I don't know I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds for him and then your last silver lining is, of course, they lost this game. The tank is looking pretty damn good right now. I went on Tankathon earlier today, and I ran uh, the simulator once. And when I ran the simulator once, um, it actually gave Florida Florida's pick moved up to number two. That's as high as they can technically move right now. Uh, they're not eligible for the first overall pick because I think they're in, where are they, in 12th? Yeah, they're in 12th last right now, so we need them to get a little bit lower, uh, one spot at least lower for them to have any opportunity at the first overall pick. But when I ran that, uh, they jumped up to second, so that would hypothetically give the Habs, uh, well, the opportunity at the very least, and you think they would take it to draft Adam Fantilli, which would be a fantastic addition to this team. And who knows what happens with the other picks. I mean, if, if anybody saw Craig Button's mock draft, I think that thing's fucked. Uh, I don't think there's any shot that Colby Barlow is going in the top 10. He's a very good player. I'd be very happy to draft him in the you know 11 to 15 range, but I don't think he's a top 10. Um, I think they're going to be looking at other options where they are, and I'm kind of hoping that they're still going to be able to move up. You know, Vancouver, uh, they, they won their last game, didn't they? And they're right behind the Habs. I think they're one point behind the Habs at this point. Arizona's four or five points behind the Habs. Anaheim's like six points behind the Habs. This is It's not completely impossible for this team to end up finishing in like fourth or third last. I think second or first last is impossible. I don't think there's a shot in hell that they're going to catch Columbus or Chicago. It's not impossible. 
but I don't think there's a shot in hell. I think that with the right losses and only winning a few games from here on out, they could be in maybe fifth last, fourth last, potentially even third last. This is good. It's going to suck a little bit watching them lose, but if they lose like that, if they lose the way that they did against Vegas, I don't think any of us have a problem with that. That was an entertaining game. They almost made a comeback at the end of that thing, and then they still lost in regulation, so there's no points, and we still got to be entertained. That's the perfect tank game. Please, give me more of those from here on out. More of precisely that. You take a look at the schedule moving forward, and it's not the easiest schedule uh, in the league, that's for sure. Take a look right now. They've got just next week. (laughs) Next week's going to be rough, okay? They've got the Hurricanes on Tuesday. That's a good team. That's a team that's probably going to mop the floor with them. Hopefully they can you know, keep their heads above water at the very least. They got the Rangers on Thursday. That's not as good of a team as the, as the Hurricanes, but definitely a team that the Habs are supposed to lose to. And they got the Devils on Saturday. That's, that's going to be a loss. <laughs> All three of those are probably going to be losses. And then guess what? It is not getting any easier the week after that. They got the Avalanche on Monday, March 13th. Avalanche, very good team, defending Stanley Cup champions. They're probably going to mop the floor with the Habs. they got the Penguins on March 14th, the very next day. So the Penguins is probably the easiest game they've got in their next five games, and they've got to do it on a back-to-back. A back-to-back with travel, mind you, because they're playing in Montreal on the 13th, and then they got to go to Pittsburgh for the 14th. And then on Thursday, March 16th, there is the next game that I want to see them win. So I want to see lose, 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 and then I want to see a win. Why do you want to see a win, Matt? Because on Thursday, March 16th, the Montreal Canadiens are playing who? They're playing the Florida Panthers. That's the one game that we need this team to really get up for. Really get up for that one because you got to take two points off of Florida. At least prevent them from getting two points, right? And then after that, uh, they've got Lightning, Lightning, Bruins, uh, and then the Blue Jackets. So Lightning, Lightning, Bruins, loss, loss, loss. Blue Jackets, yeah, it's probably a win, but uh, we'll find out. Look at the schedule, everybody. Look at it. They don't have very many easy games remaining. Most of the games that they've got at this point are playoff teams or teams that are on the cusp and that are making the playoffs. They got one against Buffalo. They got uh, the Islanders. The Islanders late in the season, um, like the Capitals, they've got what in April, April 6th. I'm looking at the schedule right now, so sorry if this is a little bit disjointed, but all I'm trying to say is, you know, the schedule from here out is is pretty difficult. They've got a lot of playoff teams in there. They're going to be losing games. If they can lose them like this, right, if they can lose them while looking competitive, scoring some goals, um, having some good candidates for, for silver linings of the night, I'll be happy. Tank Nation will be happy. I think all Habs fans will be happy, particularly if they can slide into that top five of the draft, get a guy like Zach Benson, baby. Zach Benson. Zach Benson. I'm going to keep saying his name. Zach Benson. I'm going to try to speak this into existence. If it can't be Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli, I want Zach Benson. Um, final thought for you. There was a moment in the game where Johnny Kovacevic lands a beautiful open ice hit. I forget who he hit. Um, it wasn't Eichel. It was someone, right? And then Alec Martinez kind of skates over to him like he's... and But Johnny Kovacevic drops the gloves right away, and they get into a fight. I'm not entirely sure that Alec Martinez actually wanted to fight Kovacevic, but it was a perfectly clean hit, and Kovacevic was ready for the fight anyways. I do not love players having to fight 
over clean hits. I do love that he landed the hit and had no problem with the fact that repercussions may be coming his way. He was, I'm ready to go for this one. And he beat the crap out of Alec Martinez as well. That fight was basically an assault. Um, well, it wasn't like a knockout or anything, but it was a pretty, it was definitely a significant margin of victory in Johnny Kovacevic's favor. So it's a weird one, right? I don't like players having to hit after, uh, or having to fight rather after a clean hit, but I do like them being ready to fight after the clean hit, right? I like him being completely willing and able to take care of his own problems out there on the ice. Um, what I did like, and this is, you know, not something you're going to hear me very, say very often, is that the refs did not call an instigator penalty for that fight. That's a fair one to not call the instigator for. Again, I think they need to use the instigator more often to stop people from getting into fights after clean hits. But on this one, as soon as Johnny Kovacevic got up and saw Martinez coming over to him, he threw the gloves. So it's like he wants this one. He wanted all the smoke. There's no doubting the fact that he was not only willing to get in that fight, he looked like he wanted it. In that case, I say don't make the instigator call. you you got to let these guys take care of things sometimes, and that's what they did. So I actually enjoyed that. It, it, it Again, it added a little bit of entertainment to the game. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure that the fight was necessary, um, and I think Martinez is probably looking back at it and saying, I wish I didn't skate over there. But, hey, it is what it is. And uh, I felt like Johnny Kovacevic did the right thing. felt like Alec Martinez did what he had to do. And the refs actually made the right call. So, you know, it was one of those rare moments where I watched it happen. And, like, part of me wanted to be upset about it. But then the rest of me was like, no, shut up. That's fantastic. The whole, the, the way that went, the way that it was called, it was perfect. Uh, leave it be. So, a nice moment in the game. The beautiful game. I'm going to cut it off there. We're running what? Uh, well, almost 18 minutes. So, c'est une grosse soirée pour les employés de soutien. Uh, we're on Spotify, Google, Apple. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I'd appreciate it very much. I'm also on Substack, mattdrake.substack.com. You can drop me a follow over there as well. It is free, and it always will be. Uh, I would appreciate your follow over there just as much as I would appreciate a follow on Twitter. Thank you, as always, for listening, and of course, à la prochaine.